We're going to turn once again to the, the Word of God. And so if you have your Bible and you want to turn and follow along, we're in James again. James chapter 1, today we're focusing on verses 13 through to 18, but I'm going to read um, verses 1 through to 18 this morning just to remind us of the context uh, that, we're, that we're focused in. Reminder, if you're struggling to find James, it's maybe easier to work backwards from Revelation and flick back through a few books and you'll find yourself in James just before uh, Hebrews if you're coming from the back to the front. James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own Will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I'm going to end our reading there, and we thank James chapter 1. We're focusing on those verses 13 through to 18. And really, as we spend our time in these verses, I think what we'll see is James wants to teach us some things about ourselves, and he wants to teach us, teach us some things about God. James writes to help us understand just how bad we are and how good God is. So let's pray and ask for God's help as we turn to his word. Father, we thank you once again that you're a God who speaks. And so we pray as we take some time in these verses that your spirit would be at work, giving us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that want to keep your word. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Whose fault was it? Whose fault was it? It's probably uh, 
one of the most popular questions asked in our day, isn't it? Who's, whose fault was it? A car accident. Well, whose fault was it? An injury at work. Well, whose fault was it? Financial crisis. Whose fault was it? Relationship breakdown. Whose fault was it? Slip in the ice. Well, whose fault was it? We are really good at asking that question, aren't we? Whose fault was it? Maybe even this week, there's something that comes to your mind, it happened, and you said, whose fault was it? And here's the thing, right? It's rarely ours, is it? (laughs) It's rarely our fault. Do you find that? James is writing to a group of Christians who are experiencing or will soon find themselves experiencing trials of various kinds. And James has something to say to them. Because James knows the human heart, even the heart of believers. James knows that we are so good at asking the question, whose fault is it? And so good at deceiving ourselves, rarely seeing any fault in ourselves, that we could even get to the point where we would find ourselves laying the blame at God's feet. And so James wants to teach us some really important truths this morning. He wants to teach us something about ourselves and something about God. And the big message I think he wants you to go home with is this. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. God does not tempt us to do evil. No, that comes from our own evil desires. But God gives only good gifts to his children. So let's have a a look at these verses. Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. James hits us with a command right at the start here, okay? A command at the start of this verse, let no one say, here is a command from James. It's really important. It's something that we must take heed of, We must put it into practice. We must not say this. And so the question is, what is it that we must not say? What is it that we are commanded not to say? Well, we must not say, we are being tempted by God. That's what we must not say. We must not say we are being tempted by God. Now, we're going to come back to this point in a few moments. But I also want you to spot something else. I want you to spot something else that that comes up before we actually get to that part. Because notice that James wants us to see again that temptations will come. Did you spot that? Did you spot that word when in verse 13? Let no one say when he is tempted. When he is tempted. James is not saying that, you know, this is a possibility for the Christian. James is not saying, well, if you're unfortunate enough to find yourself being tempted... James is not saying, well, maybe for the weakest of Christians, you will find yourself tempted. No, James is saying, it's going to come. It's a certain day. When? When he is tempted, trials will come. Temptation will come. That's the message that James has for us, isn't it? And actually, it might be better to translate the word tempted here at the start of verse 13 as, as tested. Scholars kind of differ as to how they think we're best to translate it. And I think if we if we read it as tested, it really shows us how James is linking this together with what's come before in chapter one. Remember, James has already told us to to count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds, for the testing of our faith produces 
steadfastness. And the testing is to bring about its full effect, isn't it? That's what this testing is supposed to bring about. It's testing with purpose. It's supposed to bring about completeness. It's supposed to bring about soundness. Remember we said you tap it, and it's not hollow. You tap it, and you know this is the real deal. And so do you see the link? Let no one say when he is tempted, or we might say tested, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. You see, tempting and testing really often come as a, as a package deal, don't they? Because it's often in periods of testing that we can feel temptation the most. Maybe it's helpful to define the, the term temptation here. One writer really helpfully describes it like this. He says it's an inner enticement to sin. The inner enticement to sin. Didn't we see it so clearly with the little fish? What was he called? Bobby? Was that? Yeah, Bobby. Didn't we see it? You know, the enticement to sin. He, he saw the net. He knew he should not go near the net. He should not go in the net. And what does he find himself doing? Well, longing to get close, longing to try it out for himself. And he finds himself in the net. You see, James knows that trials and temptations are often linked. And he knows that the evil of our own hearts are a problem. And so James tells us something really important about God. He says, God cannot be tempted with evil. God cannot be tempted with evil. What could possibly tempt God? What could possibly tempt him? He has everything to the full. He is perfection in every area. He has no desire for evil. He hates evil. God cannot be tempted. He cannot be tempted with evil. And therefore, it leads on that God himself tempts no one. He has no desire for people to sin. And so God is not going to tempt them. Now, James has to tell us this because when, te- when temptation comes to do evil, we can sometimes find ourselves trying to blame God, can't we? And maybe it sounds like a pretty good excuse because the excuse goes something like this inside our heads, doesn't it? Our argument inside our heads goes something like this. It says, well, if God is sovereign, if he really rules over all things, and if God has ruled in such a way that here I am and I'm in the exam hall and one of the smartest people in my class just happens to be sitting to my right-hand side, and in how God has ruled over all things, they just happen to be holding up their exam sheet, and I can see all of their working, well then, is it not really God's fault that I caught by? <laughs> or if God hadn't led me to work in this office, well then I'd never have got so close to that colleague and the affair would never have happened, so really it's God's fault. Or if I hadn't been allowed to have this sickness, well then I wouldn't be feeling so low. And so surely after all I've been through, I'm allowed to neglect my Christian duties. You see, we're good at deceiving ourselves, aren't we? We're good at deceiving ourselves. And we can kind of form in our minds a God who is not the God of the Bible, a God who is ever so different to the God we meet in the Scriptures, a God who is not Yahweh. And so can you see how when James is writing, he isn't writing something brand new in a sense that it's not linked to what we've already looked at in James 1. It's not disconnected from the trials of various kinds that we've been thinking about earlier in the chapter. And you see, it's really not that hard for us, especially when we're experiencing the darker shades of trials 
to try and distance ourselves from our sin. And we end up going so far as to put God in the dock and saying, actually, God, this sin in my life is your fault. You're the one who's really responsible. And James has hit the nail on the head, hasn't he? Because isn't this, isn't this the warped conclusion that our sinful hearts are well able to dream up? It's not my fault I sinned. It's, it's God's fault. And this isn't a new argument. In fact, we see it right back in Genesis in the garden, don't we? Adam and Eve, they've both eaten the fruit that they have been commanded not to eat by God. And God meets them in the garden. And what's Adam's response? When asked by God if he had eaten from the tree that God had commanded him not to eat, what does Adam say? Adam says this, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. <laughs> In other words, what's he saying? That wasn't really my fault. Do you know what? It was the woman, she gave me the fruit. And by the way, God, you are the one who gave me the woman. So actually, you're the one who's responsible here. And sadly, we follow all too easily in the footsteps of Adam, don't we? All too closely, and we find ourselves excusing ourselves from the responsibility of our own sin and trying to offload it to God and saying, God, this is it's really your fault. It's your fault. And James says with great clarity, with great clarity, God tempts no one. It is not God's fault. And so then we're left with a question, aren't we? Well, if it's not God's fault, whose fault is it? Whose fault is it if it's not God's fault? I mean, it's someone's fault, right? Well, here James, he hits us like a slap in the face, doesn't he? Verse 14, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Do you hear that? His own desire. That's not really what we wanted to hear, is it? You know? If it's not God's fault, well, then we're maybe thinking James might say, well, it's Satan's fault. It's really, it's really all his fault. Or, you know, it's just down to the, the circumstances that you find yourself in, and, you, you know, there's really no, no reason. No, that's not what he says. We didn't want to hear what he says. He says, no, it's actually our fault. The desires are actually from in here. James says that you're tempted to sin. When we're tempted to sin, we're actually being lured and enticed by our own desires. It's not that we're being forced to sin by some outside coercion. No, the sad reality is that we actually want to do the very thing that is sinful. The desire is from within. And look at the language that he uses to describe our desire. He says, we are lured and enticed. Lured and enticed. It's, well, we thought about it with the, with the fish and the nets you know, or imagine a little worm dangling, you know, it's, it's luring, it's enticing, but when it grabs hold, what happens? It can't get off. Luring and enticing, it's, it's maybe the language that we'd use of a prostitute. You have to wonder if James is thinking about some wisdom literature from Proverbs when he's writing this. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death kind of sounds like Proverbs language, isn't it? Here's what happens in Proverbs. The father speaks to his son to warn him against idolatry, and this is what he says. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter wormwood. 
sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. When you sleep with desire, something happens. There is a conception, isn't there? But the new birth that's brought about is not one that's desired. No one sends you congratulations cards at this point because the birth that is birthed is, is sin, isn't it? And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. It's a kind of this spiraling out of control, isn't it? It started with desire, and before you knew it, the love child of desire brings death. And this is where all sin leads, isn't it? This is where all sin leads. All sin leads to death. And because all of us have followed this exact path, a state of spiritual death is our default position that we find ourselves in, isn't it? Spiritual death is a natural default of man. And so this morning, do you see just how deadly sin is? It is deadly, isn't it? Sin leads to death. Sin is never something to flirt with. Sin is never something to dabble in. Sin is never only a a minor thing. James wants you to see the, the flashing red warning light that says, this is dangerous. This is dangerous. And the blame of sin can never be put on God. Because God does not tempt. The blame for sin can only ever fall at our own feet. The desire comes from within. Sinful desires, that temptation, that inner enticement to sin, it comes from my own heart and it comes from your own heart. But although God himself doesn't tempt anyone, there is a difference between tempting and and leading to a place where you will be tempted where you will be tested. And we see that throughout the Bible. We think about Abraham. We've been looking at him recently. Abraham, what happens? God tested Abraham. And you see, sometimes God leads us to a place of temptation, but that is different from being the author of temptation. And we need to make sure we don't mistake the two for being the same thing. So when we get to the end of verse 15, how do we kind of summarize what we've got to so far? Well, I think this is what we've seen. I think we've seen God does not tempt us to do evil. Now, that comes from our own evil desires, and it leads to death. If we were to stop there, that would be a pretty bad place to stop, okay? But let's keep going on. You see, we are easily deceived about things, aren't we? Deceived into thinking that a little bit of sin is not a problem, that sometimes our, our situations are, are tough, and so then we justify sin. That some sins are excusable because of the severity of the trial that we're going through. Well, then it's, then it's fine to sin. And verse 16 says this, do not be deceived. Here's the, the second command in this little section. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Because James knows that this is absolutely a possibility. Absolutely, it's a possibility. And James cares deeply for his fellow Christian believers. We really see his pastoral heart coming through here in the language of beloved brothers. You kind of feel that sense of warmth, don't you? He's speaking to those he loves and he cares for, his Christian brothers, and he wants to say to them, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Again, it's the the warning sign in capital letters flashing at us, isn't it? Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived into thinking wrongly about God. Do not be deceived into thinking wrongly about yourself. Do not be deceived as to where sin actually leads. 
Do not be deceived into missing the reality of death. And James, with his pastoral heart, then points once again to some wonderful truths about God, doesn't he? James tells us that every good gift, every perfect gift, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He says every good gift comes from God. This God isn't evil. He's not tempting us to sin. No, quite the opposite. This God is a God who gives good gifts. And for the believer, that is all we ever receive. If you're a believer here this morning, that is all you ever receive from your heavenly Father. Everything that comes to us from the providential hand of God, the Father, is from His good hand. It's from His good hand. Everything He gives us is for our good, for our sanctification, so that we might become more like Christ Jesus. Even the painful things, even the dark colors of the trial palette, they come with God's good purpose, and God's purposes are always good. And here's the thing, only God could work in such a way, isn't that right? Only God could work in such a way that all things would work together for the good of the believer. We struggle to grasp, how could this possibly be? How could God take evil and use it for our good? We, we struggle with that, don't we? And yet, James wants us to know that it's possible. And so he, he helps us by telling us some really key truths about God. Because God is able to work to bring this about. He's the father of lights, just spot that. He's the father of lights after all. He's the one who created the sun and the moon and the stars. He set them in place. He still rules over them. The sun rises and the sun sets only at his beckoning. So if anyone's able to do this, this God can. And you can trust this God completely. He is dependable. Why? What does James say? Well, James wants us to know that this God does not change. Do you see that? There is no variation in this God. He's not like us. I'm so up and down. I've got highs and I've got lows. One day I've got the best idea, and then the next day I'm thinking that's maybe not such a good idea at all. <laughs> I'm in and I'm out. I'm hot and I'm cold. God is not like me. and God is not like you. He, he does not change. We go to school and we learn we watch on and we pick things up from others, don't we? But God is not like that because God does not change. He does not increase in knowledge or skill or anything else from that matter. God does not change. So one author wrote, he said, variation in God would mean the end of his perfection. If he could become more or less anything, then he is not as great as he could be. <laughs> you think about that? He is no longer eternally perfect. You see, God is good. James wants us to know that. He wants us to know that God is always good. And everything that we experience as his children is for our good. Even the trials. But we know already that's a different way of counting, isn't it? And James helpfully points the believers to the place where they can't Help but be reminded of God's goodness. See that in verse 18, don't we? Of his own will, 
He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. God, out of his goodwill, willed us to be brought forth. Willed us to be brought forth. In other words, he willed us to be birthed again. It's another birth here, isn't it? This time it's talking about being born again, given new spiritual life. Our own desire and sin lead to spiritual death now and, and physical death to come, awaiting God's judgment. But the word of truth, notice that's the instrument that God uses to bring about this change. The word of truth has brought about new life in our hearts now and the hope of resurrection life in the new creation to come. You see, Jesus went to the cross to atone for sin. He poured the punishment, he died on the cross, and then he rose again. And isn't that where the believer can see the ultimate good gift that is given from God the Father? New life through believing and receiving in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't yet know that new life. You have not believed in Jesus. You have not received Jesus as your savior. You haven't accepted this offer of new life. Well, then can I urge you this morning to see the reality of, of where you're currently at? Because James leaves us in no doubt to see that if we just follow on in our own desires, our own sinful desires, it leads to death. That's where it ends up. It's a decisively bleak outlook. But look at what is held out on offer in the gospel. What is held out on offer is new life. And don't you want to grab it this morning if you're not a Christian? Don't you want to grab the new life and say, yes, I, I, I want forgiveness of sin. I want this new life that is on offer. And if that's you this morning, well then, well then do that. Cry out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus and say, sorry for your sin. Turn away from it and then seek to follow after him. And to the believer this morning, maybe you're here and you're facing trials of various kinds. Maybe you're facing that temptation to sin. Maybe you're the one who has much or the one who has little. Maybe you're feeling the temptation this morning to act in that double-minded way. To take a little bit of God and a little bit of the world and just to hedge your bets in both places. And James is urging you to trust God. To trust God to turn away from sin and to seek to live faithful lives remaining steadfast. And here's the good news. With the help of the Spirit, it is possible. The same Spirit that worked with the Word to bring about new life in you is at work in you. And you can say no to sin. No to sin. And not give in to the sinful desires. In the trials and the testing, you can choose to count it joy and respond in faith, growing and maturing as a believer. Because of what God has done in bringing about this new life in us, rather than the death that we deserve, we have a responsibility to live differently this morning. If you're a believer this morning, you are to live differently because of what Christ has done. We are the first fruits of his, of his creatures. Do you see how he finishes up there? We are the first fruits of his creatures. In other words, our lives are, are, to, are to be a little glimpse a little glimpse of the new creation and what it will be like. 
when it's brought to full fruition. And that's a privilege this morning. It's an honor, but it's also a responsibility, isn't it? A responsibility to live in light of that. Brothers and sisters, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. God does not tempt us to do evil. No, that comes from our own evil desire. But God gives only good gifts to his children. So this morning, might we all respond in steadfast faith and obedience in the power of the life-giving spirit. Let's pray. Father, we are easily deceived. We're easily deceived believing things about you that are not true. And we're easily deceived in not recognizing truths about ourselves that should be so obvious. We recognize that our hearts are really good at deceiving us, that we can almost get to the point where we remove the the fault of our sin from ourselves so far that we would leave it with you and say, it's actually your fault. Father, we ask for forgiveness. Give us eyes to see clearly. And Lord, help us to put our trust in Jesus, the only one who can save us from this death that we deserve. Because all of us have sinned and fallen short of your glory. But we thank you for the hope of new life in Christ. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to Recognize that if we are believers this morning, well, then we are to live differently. No longer following after the paths that lead to death, but rather recognizing who we are as children of the light and seeking to live in it. Lord, help us to walk in paths of righteousness and not to find ourselves lurking in the dark, deadly paths. Lord, we ask for your help in this. In Jesus' name, amen.